1: What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Wednesday, the 6th of July. Brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you geo-block from. UK expats wanting Wimbledon on BBC iPlayer, libertyshield.com. Irish expats wanting to watch the GAA at the weekend on RTE player, libertyshield.com. Will get you where you want to be and keep your data safe. It's the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. And with the code EPL25, that's EPL25, you can get 25% off at libertyshield.com. What are you waiting for? Go on, run, go, do it now. I'll wait for you. Go on. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and finally do check out the EPL index and Anfield index shops you'll find them on Etsy use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout right folks slightly different show today I have a guest it's not just me it's not just me you're not being forced to listen to just me today we have a guest Right, I'm joined by Alex Barker, better known to those on Twitter as @EuroExpert. Alex, thank you for taking time out of your day to come and prattle on with me about some exciting new players coming into the Premier League.
0: Oh no, thank you for having me on, man. It's a a pleasure. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, so I thought it would be beneficial to get you on. You watch a ton of European football. You know your onions when it comes to a lot of these high-end players And I think we're seeing a really good influx of players coming into the league this year. New, exciting talent to add to what was already a very strong Premier League.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, And it really lines up with the motto I was talking about on a podcast I was doing earlier. I work with a a Celtic uh, Patreon now, and they asked me, why do I do all this? And the whole thing is to make sure that English audiences, probably listeners of this very podcast, can get caught up on these European players who they don't get to watch all the time, and often we feel maybe mainstream journalists don't always do justice in covering. Well, there's no, there's no harm in it. And they're focused on the Premier League, but it's always good to get insight from people who dedicate their their little lives, like mine, to uh, watching the likes of Sven Botman and Armel Belcotchab.
1: <laughs> yeah, and they're exactly two of the types of players that I want to talk about today because I think what you've 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 nailed it. It's the When new players arrive in the UK, journalists who don't have time to go and watch other leagues because they're busy covering their own club and obviously trying to report news and stuff, they'll often jump on YouTube and try and make some sort of judgment on a player. And I do a daily podcast, aside from this, called The Daily Red, and I was talking about Naby Keita and how when he arrived in England, he arrived with expectations that just nobody could have lived up to because liverpool fans had waited a year for his arrival he was given steven gerrard's number 8 jersey and then you had journalists who clearly hadn't seen him play comparing him to engolo kante
0: excuse mm. me
1: to engolo kante and then like saying he's oh he's an engolo kante deco hybrid which you know is fairly impossible for any one (laughs) player to live up to. So no matter what Naby did, he was going to end up being a disappointment. I think it's always good to shape people's expectations on a new player so that they don't end up hugely disappointed because the 19-year-old that their club has signed isn't immediately the next Patrick Vieira or Lillian
0: Turam or whatever ridiculous comparison has been made. Yeah, 100%. That and is such a a funny story as well and the thing is like talking about it, it's a good conversation to have because i think the websites like for Breath and who's scored where a lot of us get our data have helped journalists and accounts sort of be, become a little bit more clued up if you know how to read analytics you can get sort of a good idea of these players but you can run into the same issue of hyping them up i remember when uh, Bruno Gimareis moved to Newcastle in January and I saw a tweet that went around that was like he he will be, he, if he joined a top six side, he would be their best six, their best eight and their best ten all mm. in one. And I was like, what, what? I know he's in the top 99% of all players on football for most of those stats, but hang on a second, let's tamper those expectations. And yeah. like, to link it to the players we've got today, I mean, behind the scenes, we've I've got a list we're ready to go through. I reckon there's like one maybe two on here that i would be putting that i'm really really like super excited about the rest are good but one those are the only ones that you're going to hear me on this podcast today properly rave about and maybe give some big expectation
1: yeah and there's a few i'm really excited to see coming into the league a few i've been following for a few years that i had hoped that liverpool might move for but let's start with Arsenal and the signing of Fabio Vieira, very, very talented left-footed playmaker who had a bit of a breakout season this well, a, a breakout season this past year. Despite not always been first choice for Porto, he was spectacular when played. What do you think of him as a player? What do you think he brings to Arsenal? And would you be concerned with the fit at
0: Arsenal, given the existing players in that squad? That is a really good point to make. I think I'll, I'll start right off with that because. Vieira, the, the main headline, the main thing going around when he joined was how is he going to work with Martin Erdiger? Because if you're uninitiated in the world of Fabio Vieira, this is uh, a, a Porto midfielder who's kind of off the right-hand side of midfield, right-central midfield, in their sort of 4-4-2 system, which is slightly morphs when they play. But he's someone who's left-footed and likes to come inside, drift in, central spaces and use that as a wand and I mean that is minus some details that's quite a light description of Martin Erdegaard so fitting these two together is going to be a fun challenge for Arteta but I think what helps with Fabio Vieira is he's quite quick and I can sort of see him off the right if needed I know we've got Saka off there and Arsenal still chasing Rafinha so still not sure exactly on a Arsenal squad building but my impression of him is this is a very good time for a team that are looking to undo deep blocks. He's a player that, in my opinion, wouldn't do well in like a counter-attacking system. I think he works well when he's got time and he's got like the situation ahead of him and then he can plan a pass into the box. And you know, this isn't just me sort of from watching him coming back with that. The stats do back it. He was top of uh Liga Nos last season for expected assist per ninety. It's a very you know, a player coming with high pedigree, but like you said. It'd be interesting to see how he actually matches into this Arsenal setup, which does get more complicated by the week. It does, and
1: one thing they're going to have to have around him is a lot of movement, and they'll get that with Martinelli and with Saka and Smith Rowe when he plays. And I think the Gabriel Jesus signing fits well with the Vieira signing. I just don't know that they fit in well in the overall scope of Arsenal. But he is a player I'm excited to see in the league. I think his range of passing, the weight of his pass, how outrageous some of the passes he'll play are, mm. is something Arsenal fans can get excited about. I mean, there are little shades of Mesut Ozil in that vision and that weight of pass. But... And like
0: the various ways of passing you kind of touched on. Yes. That. Like, I like his one way sort of, He he has this cool thing where he just he it into the air but it dips really quickly onto like a player's head. It's quite yeah, it's like a scoop pass. It's weird, it's almost like
1: he just throws the ball to where he wants it to be. That is a good word, isn't it? That's a very good description. I'm not sure you can against some teams you'll get away with him and Odegaard and one holding midfielder. But against the better teams, I think it's gonna have to be one or the other, unless, as you mentioned, he plays in a wider role, such as wide on the right, and maybe Saka plays wide on the left, or maybe they're forced into playing Saka at left back for running games or whatever. Um, certainly a talented player. It's a big fee, £30 million, which for a player that wasn't yet first choice at Porto is a bit of a gamble, but there can be no doubting the talent. And if he hits,
0: Arsenal are going to get. Outstanding young player. Yeah, and it is worth mentioning as well that recent exports from Liga Nos have done uh, pretty good compared to leagues other leagues outside the big mm. five. I did a study into it a few months ago, and I found the idea was I looked at players' value and how it changed after they left their league and moved to one of the top five. And I found with players from Portugal, I think it was like a good sixty percent of the players saw their value rise, and like you can you can chart that with players like uh, Jota. Uh, Ruben Diaz, Ruben Neves even, Edison uh, you guys will know Luis Diaz of course, hopefully Darwin Nunes we'll see, but I think Port- Portuguese footballs, at least with the top clubs uh, is a pretty good breeding ground for mm-hmm. Premier League Yeah, I do think so, and one
1: thing that's always been true of Porto and Benfica and Sporting is they do scout very well and you know, we saw Ruben Diaz like you said, come into the Premier League and win Footballer of the Year we saw Bruno Fernandes putting up outrageous numbers in Portugal for two and a half years, moved to Manchester United and for a year and a half continue to put up outrageous numbers. Now, last season, obviously, those numbers halved, but a big factor in that is who else came to play at Manchester United. So (laughs) there is definitely a lot of good recent history of players who have either come up through the Portuguese system, like Diaz, like Bruno. Bruno did have a spell in Italy, but he spent his formative years in Portugal. Or players like Luis Diaz, who are brought in, spend a couple of years acclimatising to Europe and then move on. There is a good track record of players coming from that league and doing very well. Um, Another country that's become a great breeding ground for young players is obviously France. And I... My personal opinion is that Aston Villa may have pulled off one of the signings of the summer in Bubakar Kamara, who I adore. Versatility, leadership, massive potential, great defensive awareness, reads the game really well. I'm all in on this signing for Villa. What's your
0: thoughts on Bubakar Kamara? We might need to get someone else in because we're both about a really hype him up. I couldn't agree more. I think... This is the player I was talking about. It strikes my mind. I think I'm not saying he's the best player that's been brought into the Premier League this season, or like not even one of the top five. I just think the deal was fantastic. You've touched on it there, sort of the things he brings to the game: his awareness and his positioning. I I I've, I've been watching him quite closely. He's one of the first players I watched when I started watching French football, which is around the beginning of 2019 or mid 2019. And his rise has been fantastic. He came through as a centre back at Marseille. And then he moved into defensive midfield. I think that was experimented with Vandre Villa And he was sort of drift in and out of defensive mid and centre back, which he, for he was only like 18 or 19 at the time, which was showing all in, already incredible understanding of the game and great discipline. And then when and Pauli came in um midway through not last season, season before 2021. Uh, he got pushed forward even more into like a, a box-to-box central midfield role. And then last season finally settled more as a defensive midfielder. He's had such a, a wide footballing education just at one club. Like yeah. he's, It's almost like the stories you hear about Ajax, how they bring their youngsters up. It he's done it in a top five league, and he's done it to a very high standard. He's one player that I can't really remember having a bad game. And I think the only reason he hasn't got a stock that's higher it's because he doesn't bring too much like attacking wise. He's not the biggest ball carrier. He's still something of a defender the way he plays. But I think his passing's brilliant. Not necessarily always progressive, but just the way he controls the game and sets the tempo. I think that's a big point between Marseille's rise. And yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. I think Aston Villa have got a fantastic signing. Like he's the one I'll be watching really keenly next season. He's, I mean, Inside behind the scenes, uh, before every season, I pick about a handful of clubs across Europe that I try and watch a little more because it, it just kind of helps you follow these different players. Last season's was like Bayer Leverkusen, Arsenal, ranging to like Mallorca. Next season, I'm following Aston Villa and Kamara's like 50% of the reason behind yeah.
1: that. Yeah, I mean you look at a guy before he sort of established himself as a starter in that Marseille team, he was playing right back. He was playing left back. He was wearing the captain's armband at 17 in that Marseille team, which for a club of that size speaks volumes of how highly regarded he was. And like you said, under VS Boas, he really started to take steps forward and made that move into holding midfield. And then Sam because of the nature of Sampaoli's football, allowed him to expand his game quite a bit. And I think the passing you've mentioned is is very, very important because he's not a spectacular passer, but he's a very intelligent passer. And if he's got two options, he will almost always pick the right one. Villa, to get him considering the other clubs that were being strongly linked with him, he probably had better financial offers. He certainly had the offers of... Champions League football he could have stayed at Marseille and played Champions League football so for Villa to get him I think really does show the ambition of their project and he's he fits like a glove into their team they have a big need at holding midfield and he fills that need it's a huge upgrade for Villa on any option they've had there in well in the last 10 years at least and I think he's one that Steven Gerrard will, will very much enjoy coaching um one coming back to Britain after a two-year spell in Serie A is Aaron Hickey, who came through the Hearts Academy, went to Bologna for, I think, £1.7 million. He is about to sign for Brentford. Now, I'm very high on him. I'm curious with regards to why they've gone for him when their bigger need was a right wing back because they do have Rico Henry. Now, he is two-footed,
0: so do you think he's coming in to play on the right well, that's the thing because I don't think he's played too much on the right for Belongia last season, but yeah. he is very two-footed. Like you can see that in his play, and also, my I think the most underrated stat you can find on foot breath is on every single player you go on is a uh, it, it shows the amount, the percentage of touches they take of either foot, and it's it's a pretty much a buzzkill for anyone who loves FIFA and they go on there and see Neymar and think this guy's two-footed and takes 90% of the touches with his right foot but Hickey's like around 60% and that is an incredibly small bracket of players in Europe who are that comfortable on both feet and I think the most impressive thing about him because he doesn't pop in the attacking numbers he scored four goals this season but I was reading this morning how he was joking with teammates his teammates joke with him that he only scored deflections until he scored a 25-yard screamer but He's not like booming in those charts. The most impressive thing about Aaron Hickey is just how much football he's played now at such a young age that no one was really expecting. And the fact he's played it at a first team level in a, a, a really good standard, I think. He's a similar to Kamara. That he has he's not had any big high profile errors. Like he has been very consistent, I think, at Bologna. So mm. but yeah, bring it back to you, Brentford this is the interesting thing because Hickey was more of a left back originally not as much as a wing back until this season where he was really pushed into that role so it's still I think slightly unnatural for him to be so attacking and I think it depends on the team you play in like a wing back at Chelsea for example is a lot more like a right a right winger or a left winger whereas Brentford maybe he'll suit it a bit more because they're not gonna have as much at the ball and he might be doing a bit more defensive work but I guess it does help to have more of a natural right wing best. But then again, what I would say if I was Brentford and I was a scattered part, which is of course, very well famed, picking up Aaron Hickey is an opportunity you can't really miss. And no. I, was su- I was surprised Arsenal didn't pick him up, actually. I thought that would have made a lot of sense. Yeah, Arsenal were strongly linked to him and then seemed to get themselves all wrapped
1: up in trying to get the Jesus deal done, trying to get Rafinha, uh, currently trying to get a player we'll talk about later, Lisandro Martinez. And maybe Hickey just thought, well, I'm clearly not a priority for you, but I'm a priority for Brentford. And to be fair, if he does well at Brentford, Arsenal will be there for him. United will be there for him. City could be there for him. Liverpool could be there for him. Because in the coming years, City will need to replace Kyle Walker. So if he if he shines at right back for Brentford, City might look at him as an option. Liverpool will need to replace Andy Robertson in three years. So he could be an option there. So the top moves will still be there for him. I think this is a really clever move for him now. And I think this, it shows a pattern with his career where he could have gone to a range of other clubs in 2020. He was linked with Bayern Munich. He was linked with Lyon. He was linked with Villa. But he made the decision to go to Bologna as more of a, a stepping stone from Hearts where he was going to get more game time. And Bologna have obviously recruited very, very well over the last few years themselves. They've developed players quite well. And while he struggled in his first season because he had an injury, he really did kick on this past season as a a well-rounded player. And working under Sinisa Mihailovic, who of course made his own name as a left-back before moving to centre-back, Hickey has spoken about how You know, just getting advice from the manager, being open to taking on board what he's suggesting because he knows what he's talking about.
0: And the manager's a former left back as well, I think.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. So that's kind of where I I really like the makeup of Aaron Hickey. I think there's a, a real possibility that he will not only maximize his talent, but perhaps even get to a level above that because he really does seem to have his head screwed on straight.
0: Yeah, the the only possible worry you have for Aaron Hickey is, like you said, he could probably play for Manchester City, Manchester United in the future. The only potential problem is where he plays in the Scottish national team, because with the amount of left-backs they have mm. and with the versus that Hickey has, the fact he's both footed and score goals. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets filled in an attack in midfield next time that team gets filled out because I don't think he's getting in at left back and if Calvin Ramsey does well over the next couple of years, he might have trouble getting in right back as well. That's the thing, like Scotland all of a sudden just have this incredibly good
1: group of fullbacks with Robertson, Tierney, Hickey Ramsey and young Patterson at Rangers who's very highly yes. regarded Yeah, that's so, the other one very, very exciting times for Scotland. The rest of the team, not so much, but the fullbacks are great. Um, yeah. <laughs> staying in London, Crystal Palace should be announcing Czech de Kure as their newest signing any day now. Very highly regarded defensive midfielder. Uh, what are your thoughts on him as a, as a player and, again, as a signing for, for Palace?
0: As a signing, it's been annoying because he's been meaning to be confirmed for like the past six weeks. So I'm really happy that it's finally getting done. Uh, My my video on him would have got a lot more views (laughs) had he signed actually shortly after, like he was meant to. But just aside, this is a good move at Palace because obviously they're losing Conor Gallagher. And I think the idea of him is that he he was like this box-to-box midfielder, really... He was much more attacking and almost like a fourth attacker. Didn't get on the ball too much. I think Jake DeGore will provide a bit more quality on the ball and a bit more comfort on the ball. To give a bit of background, because this one really is quite a rogue transfer. He's coming from Launce, which uh, are a team that was promoted at the beginning of, uh, well, at the end of 1920 by default after the Ligue Deux got shut down. And uh, they've been under the management of Francais, who's one of the more exciting managers in France. He's quite like, from watching Liga's rise over the last four, three to four years, he's been like one of the managers that's been the most bold. Like there's not many managers in France that have tried a back three. He's now kind of spearheaded that. And his midfielders have filled with quality. You not only got Czech DeCoure, but you've got Sekou Fofana in front of them, the attacking midfielder that uh, the Ivorian, he's got quite a lot of skill on both feet and is firing goals for Lons. Mm-hmm. Jade de role, well. like I said, it's a bit more box-to-box. He does quite a lot of defensive work, but he's progressive carries where he shines. I believe off the top of my head, he was in the top 30 at least in Ligue 1 for progressive carries per 90, which is moving the ball 10 yards closer to goal. So Palace getting a lot of progression in there, which I think will help to link their defence with the attack. And you're also getting some good defensive work rate right in there as well. And they're building this nice French connection uh, in there. You've got Mateta, uh, Elise, and and uh, Adekori, and I think I'm forgetting a couple of other names, so I, I'm quite high on this move, and the Palace fans on my timeline, who've been researching them for the past four or five weeks, as like I said, they've been waiting for this move to be confirmed, they're really excited about it too. Yeah, and I wouldn't be
1: surprised if he's one of two midfield additions, because it looks like Czech Koyate will leave, so mm-hmm. they'll need to replace him and Conor Gallagher, and obviously both very important to them last season. I, I think this is a very good move, and it fits well with The timeline of this Palace rebuild, you know, that started obviously last summer with the appointment of Vieira and some of the moves they made bringing in Mark Gwehi, who I think is is a big talented centre back. Uh, Tyreek Mitchell establishing himself as the first choice left back. You have um, Michael Lise, as you mentioned, coming into the team, and they've been snapping up some young players from other clubs as well, a couple from Uh, from Derby and one from Peterborough, who they're very, very high on for the long term. So definitely a change in tact from the Roy Hodgson era. And I think, you know, based on how last season's additions went, you would put your
0: faith in the recruitment policy at a, a Crystal Palace right now. I would, but I'm I'm a little worried for them going into the next season because I often get asked as a neutral fan that what team do I what teams do you actually like, Alex? Come on, and I I maintain I'm not a fan of any of them, but it's hard not to like Palace as you've kind of outlined their their youth policy is great. They're building this exciting team, but I'm worried about the next season because they had this year the benefit of surprise of the fact that no team was expecting them to change into more possession teams so quickly and enjoy the ball so much. And it meant they could still get away with counter-attacking sides. Next season, they're not going to have that comfort. A bit like Newcastle. I think they're going to have more frustrating games. And I've, I agree, I think the recruitment is going to continue to be good. But Patrick Vieira is going to face a really tough season and hopefully pulls through and manage to keep things fresh and make sure Palace don't go on games where they can't score, they keep losing 1-0 or drawing 0-0.
1: Yeah, I do agree with that. I think they're going to have to be, they're going to have to be a bit more clinical in front of goal for sure. And I think, I think they'll create a lot more chances because Eze will have a full preseason and he'll be in the team next season a lot more. I think year two of Elise there, he'll play a lot more. So there should be less of the Andre Ayew type <laughs> of thing, you know. And like, there's a four four two that could be put together there. If they wanted to go with De Koury and Will Hughes as a pair and play Olise and Eze as sort of f- wide players who t- can tuck in field mm-hmm. and have a lot of freedom and then play Zaha plus either Matete or Mateta or Odson edouard up front. And maybe they become a bit more of a chance creating machine that way. Um, but certainly it'll be inter- they're definitely gonna be an interesting team to watch this season. Second season syndrome normally only applies to recently promoted teams, but sometimes managers in their second season as well can find it very difficult in this league as teams become more familiar with what they're planning and what they're, you know, what they're looking to do. Um, one of the more surprising transfers for me is Joe Polinia to Fulham. He's a very good player. I'm surprised there wasn't bigger clubs interested. Now, we know Wolves were in for him as well. He turned down the chance to join the Portugal of the Midlands uh, (laughs) to go to Fulham. I think it's a good get for Fulham. But are you surprised there wasn't some top clubs chasing him, considering his profile as a starter for the Portuguese national team, and especially at that price?
0: I think with Paulinho, he's a little like Bubacar Camarra I think a lot of top teams are. They have their, their defensive midfielders locked down. Like, if we take the Premier League, I think you've got what Rodri at City, Fabinho at uh, Liverpool, uh, Arsenal, you've got uh, Party and Xhaka, a decent pivot, and they're always making upgrades there. But, and like Chelsea, you've got Jorginho, Kante, Spurs, uh, you had Hoyberg. I think with Palinia and Kamara, they don't offer. So much going for they're Not box to box, and so they're not going to able to fit in ahead of those DMs. And only teams like I think Manchester United really. This Palinio would have been made a fit there because to give background again for the people who aren't aware of Palinio, he on paper he's a box to box in fairness. He plays in a uh, double pivot midfield in a Sporting side. By the way, don't call them Sporting Lisbon. I learned the hard way. Their fans tapped me for ages. Uh, a Sporting side, three four three system, and. Um, But what he does, he drops off into a lone DM role, and he'll play just in front of two centre backs with the wing backs either side of him, and like on that line of tactics. And at six foot three, he's very good at not only winning duels like physically, but what he's been famed for in Portugal is intercepting the ball. He averages over three interceptions per ninety, I believe. He's very good at anticipating danger and swiftly getting rid of it. He's not the most athletic or quick but he just covers ground well but i guess in that sense like purely defensive wise like Busquets, but um his passing's very safe and his dribbling's very safe he, i was working on a video on him early he completes 0.6 dribbles for 90 and not all of his passes go forward but they go up an 88 success rate but to be with fulham i don't know if it's because like he's good I'm actually not too surprised just because I'm used to Fulham making these weird transfers that you shouldn't expect him to get. Like Zambo and Giza. Mm, that's the one. one. Yeah, mo- most people follow me will know I've got a special place in my heart for Zambo and Giza because I think every time I've watched him, I don't understand why he's not playing for Barcelona. He's unbelievable. Talk. He's brilliant. He barges everyone off the ball, carries the ball at the pitch. He looks like the best midfielder in the world on like the few games you watch of a season. And it, like, do you remember as well when John michel Serry went there, like yeah. that original big money spending thing. So Paulinho to Fulham, to me, just feels like exactly like their business. It'll be, it, it, I'm hoping he'll do good. And I'm hoping he'll keep them in the league this time. Because I, I want Fulham to stay in the league and see what other signings they can do.
1: Yeah, I, I do as well. I'd like to see, I'd like to see Fulham be a bit more proactive this summer than they have been previously Like that first year they came up, they sort of went star chasing and spent a lot of money on a a lot of players that didn't really fit that well together. Then the last time they were up, they waited really late into the window and they got a bunch of good players in, but pre-season had already passed. The manager had sort of planned out the first six to eight games. Half of them had been played. And when these new players arrived in, he couldn't just throw them all in at once and it completely ruined the first half of their season. This summer, I think they need to get their business done a lot earlier and they're doing that with him. And I think him and Harrison Reed will be a safe, hardworking midfield that won't win them games, but won't lose them any games. Yeah. and I think that's half the battle in the Premier League is to not have your midfield costing you games week on week. Because if you look at last season, we look at Watford, their midfield cost them a handful of games. You know, the Sissoko, Tom Cleverly um Kushka group just it didn't work at all, and against the even the teams they should be beating, you were thinking you're just looking at them thinking you guys are losing your team this game because you can't do anything.
0: Hundred mm. percent, and yeah, with Fulham as well, like you said, it's, it's to make sure they don't lose games. Why I'm worried about them. Um, I mean, I haven't checked into their business. I think this is their only major signing, but mm. they need to decide what they're going to do up front. Are they going to this time for once back Alexander Mitrovic to be their main striker? Or are they going to panic with him? Because I, I think it might opinion, what cost them badly last, last time in the Premier League. I thought they were pretty good. They had like a nice unbeaten run when they switched to three at the back in 2021. But their big failure was bringing in Josh Major from Bordeaux as their like saving striker up front who had never put up big numbers. And were, I think they are hoping a lot from him. And he, it was his first time in the Premier League. So they need to decide, are they going to spend big on a striker or is Mitrovic the man? Is Marcus Silva confident this time that he's going to be the man at front? That's the thing. And they obviously lost Fabio Carvalho. It does look like Manor
1: Solomon will arrive to replace him. Um, but, yeah, you're right about Josh Madge. I mean, he'd he done well in League One with Sunderland. But Hmm. he hadn't done particularly well in France with Bordeaux. And when he joined Fulham, there was just too much pressure on him. It was too much of a step up for him. Um, One club that definitely needs to make a step up this season compared to last year is Leeds. And they have been very aggressive in the transfer market. And I, I, I like what I'm seeing from them. Now, obviously, they've lost Calvin Phillips, which is huge because he's such a good player but then he did miss over half the season last year. They most likely will lose Rafinha, although there's some reports suggesting he might be happy to stick around another year, wait for Barcelona to get their finances in order, and then go next summer, which Leeds might not be happy about because they'll lose money on him because one year left in his contract next summer, but they get a year of a great player. But they've brought in three, and they're on the verge of adding two more. So the players they've brought in. Let's start with Brendan Aronson from Red Bull Salzburg, the young American attacking midfielder. Have you seen much of him? What's your your feel on on that player?
0: Yeah, I've seen quite a bit of him. I mean, I'm very fortunate now to uh, uh, be using Y Scout courtesy of breaking the lines, and they. I've been able to, I can't talk about the stats on it because it's meant to be exclusively for them, but I've been able to watch a lot of clips and it, it's a marquee signing for Leeds, obviously. I guess I'm a little worried. He, To give background, he plays a bit like Bruno Fernandes. He likes to pick up the ball in midfield, drive forward, and he is more than happy to attempt these very risky passes going forward. Uh, always trying to get it into the box always trying to play it through defenders and get it into the strikers. Doesn't always come off. I think he only got five goals and four assists uh, in the league last season. But in fairness, he did assist uh, against Bayern Munich in both legs when I, I thought Salzburg go, were going to go through until they they bottled it in the second leg, for lack of a better term. But there isn't much output coming from him. And for a flagship signing, it's the most expensive one, until they potentially bring in Sinistera. Um, yeah, it's a bit risky, but we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, it is a risk. It does seem to be a player that they've been keen on for a while. And, I mean, they were linked with him before they even landed Jesse Marsh, which I think hints at the fact that they had planned to bring in Jesse Marsh before the decision was made to remove Bielsa. Um, so, you know, it's a lot riding on it. New manager coming in. This is his big statement signing, the one that seems to have been made with him in mind. So if it doesn't work, I think that falls in the manager. But I I think given they have Rafinha, if he stays, Jack Harrison, Dan James, who, despite his flaws, can still be a productive player. Rodrigo lacks consistency, but there's clearly a lot of talent there. He's not going to have to play every single game. They should be able to rotate in those positions, and maybe that benefits him over the course of a season if he's more of a spot starter and he's coming off the bench and playing against maybe some of the weaker teams where he can get more time and space on the ball. They also added Rasmus Christensen, also from Salzburg. I really like this one. Uh, Good, powerful right-back, and I did feel like Luke Ayling was one of the real big weak links in that team just in terms of a quality standpoint. So uh, I'm high on the Christensen signing for
0: them. Yeah. And his numbers are pretty crazy. He's got 10 goals and three assists in the league at least last season. And yeah, Salzburg, they played a lot of different formations. I think mainly stuck in something like a a four, three, one, two, and it was always Aronson in behind. So that gives quite a bit of room for Christensen to power up the right flank. And I, I guess it is worth noting now, this is the last Salzburg sign we'll talk about here. Uh, with both him and Arison, we should take a of pinch of salt because I've, I've watched quite a bit of Austrian Bundesliga this season. Like, try to bin through the highlights of games, especially with Salzburg, and it is quite embarrassing how dominant they are. So the league does split halfway through and puts the better teams in with them, and it does get a bit more competitive. But for the first half of the season in the Austrian Bundesliga, like, there was one team I can't remember the name of they played. It might have been like Wolfsburger or something, but literally from minute five camped inside their own box. And I think that's when Salzburg won like 6-0. In- incredible stuff. But so you could see Christensen's output drop a bit. But like you said, I think he's a powerful right back, 10 goals for assists, and he's 24 now, I believe. So yeah, you're getting someone a bit more experienced, a bit more ready in than Brendan Harrison and hopefully he adapts well.
1: Yeah, agreed. I think he is one that just walks straight in, as I think is Mark Roker arriving from Bayern Munich, he's a solid central midfielder. He's not a spectacular player, but I think he's a decent addition for them.
0: Yeah, 100%. And then when he was last in, lost in Spain, was it Espanyol, I think he might have yes. been with? Yeah. Uh, I think it might be like 1920 around then. He ranked very high for progressive passes and passed into the final. That was his main thing. He looked like he was going to be the next guy to sort of like your modern defensive midfielder where they provide a bit of cover, but their main thing is passing forwards and provide progression from deep. And if I was him, I'd be fuming with how things have gone up by Munich. Like at the start of last season and the beginning, and the end of this season, Nagelsman's come out and said, I, I really rate Mark Rocker. Like, I think he's. I'd really like to use him. But he just hasn't used him at all. He started like under 30 games, I believe, across all comps over the last two seasons. He barely started any games this season. So, I, I think the big benefit of this one is, even though at 25, like, we haven't seen the best of him over the last couple of years, we've barely seen any of him, this is someone who's going to come into Leeds and going to be desperate to prove himself, to so remind people this is a very good footballer who was once very promising, and just because Bayern Munich have decided not to play him, and by the way, I don't think any attitude problems or anything, all the I've seen have indicated that he's a good worker behind the scenes, so... I'm, I think this will be a good one to watch. And Leeds, this, this is a smarter signing from Leeds, I think. This is one I'm a bit more confident with over Christensen and Aronson. Yeah, I,
1: I, I think he's similar to Joe Polina. I think he'll just be seven out of ten pretty much every week. He won't be spectacular, but I think he'll be he'll be solid. The one maybe area of weakness in him is mobility that will be covered by Tyler Adams, who looks set to join this week. And while neither Adams nor Roca are as good individually as Calvin Phillips, I do think the pairing of them is an upgrade on Phillips and whoever was next to him last season. Because my gripe with Leeds was when their best 11 was on the pitch, there was always a couple of championship level players who really didn't, didn't make the step up to the Premier League all that well. These two, for me, they come in as bona fide Premier League players who will be absolutely fine. Adams, with his style of play, how aggressive he is, how mobile he is, he's solid on the ball. He's obviously played right back in his career as well. I think it's a really nice pairing.
0: Yeah. Tyler Adams is someone, a, a bit like a Rocker, he's been shifted around too much in his career. Like, I think it's purely because of how versatile he is, but he's been played a right wing back and centre mid and right mid, and this is a guy that I think he's 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 getting shifted around because not only is he very good at anticipating danger as a defensive midfielder, but he's also rapid. Like it's underrated how quick he accelerates. So I was watching some clips of him last week actually. Of uh, just is the way he closes players down, and he does this thing where he just jumps from man to man and like swiping down, like swiping them down, and getting the ball, nipping it, and then getting Leipzig forward or the US national team forward. I was there was another article I read actually that said as a US uh, national team fan, but had done quite a lot of analysis on the team, and he said that Adams was the most indispensable player in the side. So again, at twenty three. Even though he's got so many years ahead of him, I think he's been a little wasted in Leipzig, personally. There's someone who's really hyped when he first moved there. So I'm looking forward to see what he does in Leeds. This is a, similar to Rocco. This is a chance to prove himself in his preferred position and see what yeah. he can get up to. Yeah, exactly. With, with the manager, he knows well.
1: And I think there's, you know, there's some value in the fact that three of these players have worked under Jesse Marsh before. So it's not going to be a surprise to them how he works, it's not going to be a surprise to him, how they work. So that, that will help, I think, the, the settling in process. The lead signing that could be very, very exciting is Luis Sinisterra from Feyenoord, the Colombian winger. Right-footed, plays on the left, which obviously isn't a direct replacement for Rafinha, but maybe it means that Lou, um, that's Jack Harrison moves across if Rafinha goes. But I, I think this is the, the type of signing that they made when they signed Rafinha. I think he's got a big, big upside.
0: Yeah, and I guess there is a bit there is a bit more caution with Sinistera because with Rafinha, he proved himself in Portugal and then with Rennes, So there was a bit more grounding. Coming from the is an adaption not everyone makes. I mean, Bergwijn is going back there now because he didn't quite do it. But with Sinistera, there was you actually mentioned Rafinha. I think on the surface, they're two different players. Like Rafinha is someone who's a bit more slower in the way he approaches games, I think, and the way he picks teams apart. And Sinisteria, like, if you just look at a highlight reel of him, he looks more like a bulldozing, like, powerful winger. But we watched him quite a bit over the last couple of years. I've managed to like, take quite a bit of a peek at final and their rise. He's a lot more careful than, like, than what meets the eye. He, he, rather than sort of looking to beat a defender for pace, he likes to size them up, slow them down and then dribble through him. And that's where 11 of his goals this season, I think really came from uh, in the league at least. He scored six in the conference league as well, by the way, one against Marseille, which was a deflected goal in fairness, but still someone who's stepping up and he's, I, I think he outperformed his XG this season. I mean, altogether in the league, he got 18 goals and assists and he was expected to get 12 uh, but that was still top 20 in the Eredivisie. Uh, it shows he's a good finisher and his teammates are finishing up too. Uh, like you said, we'll see what he does at Leeds. I think there is a lot of potential upside of this. Hopefully he can adapt well. I think the adaption period is what will be key. If Sinistero can recreate what he's doing in the Eredivisie, sizing up defenders before slaloming through them, doing that to Premier League defenders, that will be great. But obviously it's a slightly different game. But hopefully he does it. Agreed. Agreed. And he'll be one
1: they'll have to bring along slowly as well because of, you know, like you mentioned, there's been a few that have really done well in the divisi come to the Premier League and not performed. So they'll, they'll have to be wary of just throwing him in at the deep end. But they do, again, as with Brendan Aronson, they do have a number of players to fill that line of three behind the striker. Um, so he's not necessarily going to have to be an every game starter for them. Uh, moving on to Nottingham Forest, two signings coming in, one one done and one hopefully done. So the one that they're hoping to complete in the next day or so is uh, Moussa Akate of... Mines, I believe? Mines, yes, of Mines. The French centre-back, 26 years of age, so should be hitting his prime years. He comes into a centre-back group that has Joe Worrell, that has Scott McKenna, and that should help him settle in if he's played in the middle of the three with those two either side. That could hmm. be a good fit.
0: Yeah, and he's someone that I covered mainly at the start of last season because even in August 2021, uh, he, he came out and said, that I spoke with the chairman, I spoke with the manager, you know, if an offer comes in, they're going. I'm going to go. So it's quite surprising he actually stayed a whole other season uh, in Germany. But it is it a defender. Uh, he's... When I looked at him, he profiled quite similarly to Rudiger. That He's someone who had quite a good, decent bit of passing, mainly down the half space, but he's carrying to really good. Uh, carrying the ball forward uh, with his stature. I think that could be something he brings to Nottingham Forest. But I have not watched any Nottingham Forest at all, I have to say. I mean, I, I'm too busy watching Belgian Pro League. Sorry, not Nottingham fans. But hopefully that is something that you like the sound of and as a defender i think he's pretty good as well like he's decently mobile he's not going to be sort of left out to dry by fast premier league attackers and he's not going to be left out to dry by like the towering strong ones you think he's quite well physically built and he's, he's decent back defending he's not like a van dyke he's not eating attackers up but he's pretty good so i'm looking forward to see uh, what he does here in nottingham yeah, I mean, I think
1: what they could easily do is move Scott McKenna from that left-sided role into the central role. If Steve Cooper wants a bit more solidity in that middle role, play Niakata as the left of the three and give him that freedom to carry the ball forward, give yeah. him that freedom to step into midfield and still have the Worrell-McKenna duo who can just slide across and form a back two. Um, so that should work well for Palace or for Forest. They're one of the teams I'm looking forward to seeing. And another reason I'm looking forward to seeing them is Teo Awani, who mm. had an outstanding season for Union Berlin, 20 goals in 43 games across all competitions after his move from Liverpool. Um, he I think I think he's a player that's is built for the Premier League. The size, the speed, the power, the awareness, the finishing ability. I think he's someone that could cause Premier League defenders a a lot of trouble. He might not replicate big goal numbers in the league, but I think you could almost see him sort of like a Mikel Antonio, where he's just one of those forwards that defenders
0: really don't like playing against. That's a great comparison. I think he's very similar to Mikel Antonio. and as, As a side, I've written on him uh, a couple weeks ago and never have bear in mind ladies and gentlemen listen I have written and made videos on hundreds of players I've not over a thousand and I've never seen someone with a more disputed height some people put this guy at five foot nine and you watch him and he's towering over defenders so I'm looking forward to see see like the FA pr- dispel this myth of how tall he actually is but joke aside like you kind of said He's a very physical presence. He's also got a bit of speed and mobility and his goals, I think are quite striking. He always takes his shots quite early. I think like on the edge of the box, he looks like he's about to charge in and it'll snap shots and it will go straight in the bottom corner. And I think he got 16 goals in the Bundesliga last season. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. But like you kind of said, I think he will be like Antonio enabling others to succeed at Nottingham Forest. Uh, because he, what he'll do, he'll make sure he'll always have a defender on him, which will he open up some space. A bit like, I guess, like a bit of a strange comparison, but a bit like Lukaku was meant to be at Chelsea, someone who will always take a defender out and open up space for Chelsea to exploit. And what ended up happening was like defenders just ignored him because they knew he wouldn't do anything anymore. Aouni, we should be the opposite of that.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, you, the hype thing is hilarious. So obviously Liverpool owned him for a long time. And he wasn't seen for a few years. He couldn't get a work permit. He couldn't come into the UK. Uh, so he wasn't even involved in pre-season for a few years. And there was this assumption that he was 5'8", 5'9". <laughs> and I've just popped a picture in the chat, if you want to take a look at it, which is kind of the first view any Liverpool fan ever really got of this fella. And he's running with Sadio Mane, Nabi Keita and Mo Salah. Now, Sadio is about 5'9". And Sadio comes up to his shoulder. Let's have a look. He is a giant of a human. He has to be at least six two, in my view. He is broad the shoulders. He is a powerfully built human being. Oh, there we go.
0: <laughs> you see what it,
1: This is a guy who's allegedly five foot nine. Um, he is he is a big, big boy, and uh yeah, I, I don't know where the idea came that he was five. He might be five nine when he was 14 or something, but he's <laughs> certainly not five nine now. Uh, he is a big boy and he's going to be a handful for every Premier League defense that has to match up with him this year. Let's move on. This is a player I know you're a fan of mm. Sven Botman going to Newcastle. It seemed like his preference was AC Milan. And, you know, it's it's a terrible way to judge players. But if arguably the greatest defender of all time thinks that you're a really good defender, there might be something about you. But <laughs> Newcastle managed to get him. I think it's a great signing for them. Now, I, I don't know how much he really wants to be there, but he's there. And if you add him to Bruno Gomerish, and they've signed Nick Pope, and they've signed Matt Target and Kieran Trippier arrived in January all of a sudden these are the type of sensible signings that teams weren't expecting Newcastle to make i think there was a an expectation that Newcastle would do something silly like go and offer usman dembele a five year contract for 400 grand a week or you know whatever the modern day equivalent to signing rabinho would be but instead i i i really
0: like the signing i think he's a very very good centre back yeah, everyone thought they'd be like Barcelona. Maybe everyone hopes they would. I think this is everyone's worst nightmare. The funny thing with Botman is that he's I think he's a bit divisive online in sort of online coaches and coaching discussion more particularly. I remember I've had a bit of a debate with uh two two Spurs fans online. They uh, they're well known. I've got I think one of them's called Nathan. Most people know he's the analytics guy and Harry Brooks. And they didn't they didn't like Botman because they think He's too, too, too immobile and it can get done quite easily. And I can see where they're coming from with some points because that does happen occasionally to him. But to any Newcastle fans listening, you might have also been induced by this. Th- there's a, a compilation going around on YouTube. It's meant to be his highlights, but it's really collected all of these moments. And I've read through the comments and lots of Newcastle fans said, oh, I'm not really sure about it now. And I'm with David. I'm actually really confident on this because... Maybe it's a slight bias because when I watched Lille last year, they were a big they were a big part of sort of my own rise as a channel and as a person online because I was the person covering them, and all of a sudden I was like one well, of the main authorities and all of their young stars that were now moving everywhere. But I really do believe Sven Botten's a great defender. Uh, he came through at Ajax. Uh, he's only twenty two now, but when he came through Ajax, he didn't quite fit their system, even though he's very good on the ball, very comfortable with it. But I think it's just maybe a part of competition as well. And he moved to Lille and played alongside Jose Font. And I, 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 I've been trying to find the stats to back this up for ages, but I can't find it anywhere. I remember League and Commentator saying after about six games that he hadn't misplaced a short pass yet, like a statistical short pass. Is that tidy of the ball? And he's also still a bit brave. He likes to play these long passes over the top in behind for Lille defenders. Um, this season that's kind of dried up a bit because he's been asked more to just play short balls into midfield, and then that's tanked his progressive passing numbers. So I would ask Found to maybe ignore that and have a bit more faith in him. And as regards to his defending, he's six foot, some say six foot five, he's six foot four and a half. So he's not, you know, rapid, but I don't think he's particularly slow. i I feel like I've seen him quite a few times manage to catch up a defender or an attacker trying to get round him and at least get the block off or, better yet, stop them in their tracks. I think he's a good reader of the game at a young age. And with that, even if he isn't the best defender in the league at the, this season with Newcastle, I think in a couple of years, three years' time, Sven Botman will be a player that all the top clubs, if Newcastle aren't already one of them, are talking about and and are getting rumoured to be linked with. So, yeah, I'm very high on this move, very high on it.
1: Yeah, I am as well. And I, I won't comment on Mr. Brooks. My own thoughts on him are quite well documented. But um, if he says he's flawed, then I think he's probably great. <laughs> um yeah, he doesn't have the quickest turn of pace, but that's why you buy a partner. They need a the thing is you can't just throw Sven Botman in and think, right, that's it, our defense is solved. Newcastle needed two centre backs anyway. Because Fabian Shar and Dan Byrne and Jamal Lachelles, they're grand if they're your third, fourth and fifth centre-backs. If you've got ambitions to finish in the top half in this Premier League, you're not starting any of them. So they needed two anyway. Now they have Botman. They can narrow down the profile of the player they want to play with him. And the first port of call on that player will be recovery pace. And as long as they have that, they can play a mid-block. If they don't, they can still play a deep block anyway. Because, like you said, Bottman played next to Jose Font, not exactly known for his recovery pace, who's, I think, 38 now. So, you know, Sven mm. Bottman will be absolutely fine in the Premier League. He's great in the air. He's
0: good 1v1. He's a good tackler. He reads the game well. He'd be fine. Alternative um, tactic for Newcastle, where you mentioned, like I, I, I tend to agree. I think Dan Bird's quite a level. However... Newcastle could make their next sign-in, Thomas Gronmark, and then they can base their entire tactics around getting the ball in to Botman and Dan Burns' heads. And maybe maybe that's the secret. Maybe that's the direction they're heading in.
1: Liverpool aren't letting them go. He's too important. He's too (laughs) important to us. Um, This player may actually have been an ideal partner for Botman. Newcastle were loosely linked to him a couple of months ago, and then it all went quiet. And then nothing was said of him until it was announced that Southampton had signed Armel Belakotche, Uh, Coming in from Bochum, where he had two very good seasons back-to-back, 21 years of age, 6'3", great athlete, high potential, good character by all accounts. You add him to Salisu, and all of a sudden that could be your long-term centre-back pairing with Tino Livermento at right-back. And that's something that Southampton fans could get very excited about for a couple of years. Now, obviously they have Bednarak, they have Leanko, so that's a strong group as is. Uh, you'd imagine Kocha probably starts the season as the as a backup, but there's no doubt he has the talent and ability and work rate to get himself into that team. And if he gets in, and that partnership with Salisu, however young it might be, if that clicks, that could be their pairing
0: moving forward. Yeah, I made a video on this yesterday. I think Bellicott, If talking about Botman, if he's a bit more reserved, a bit more cautious, and when he goes into tackles, he's more standing and looking to win the ball. Uh, Bellacott is almost like the complete opposite. This guy is rapid, and he likes to charge in. He averages 0, 0.5 silent tackles per 90. And in my head, I feel like it's more. <laughs> like he's always looking to just go down and get the ball and like put his whole body in front of it. Um, and he's also averaging three interceptions per 90 as well. Uh, so this is someone who's really aggressive. But, yeah, very importantly, very quick. And I think that's important for Southampton, kind of like you touched on. I think their blueprint by the end of the season could be, Having these two centre backs and also Romeo Lavia, uh, City's midfielder, if he adapts quickly as well, having this core defensive players, which will allow Livermento and Romain Paroud, who we shouldn't forget about a French uh, left wing back or left winger, left left back rather, should allow those two to go forward with a lot more freedom. And especially on Livermento's side, that'd be brilliant. And because they can then know they've got great coverage at the back. Uh, two centre-backs who aren't going to get exploited, who aren't going to get caught off guard. And with Gavin Basunu in goal as well, what a yeah. signing he is. Love that signing. Yeah. Absolutely
1: love that signing. We I uh, have on. been waiting for Ireland to produce a good goalkeeper for many a year. And all of a sudden, we've got Basunu, we've got Mark Travers, who's just signed the new deal at Bournemouth, and we've got Quevin Kelleher. But this kid, Basunu, he is the standout of the three by considerable margin. His athleticism... How aggressive he is coming off his line. I think Southampton fans should be very excited. And I really like the signing of Romeo Lavia from Man City as well, because they were short one in central midfield. They only had three central midfielders last season with Ward, Prowse, Romeo, and uh, and Diallo. Now they add him in, they get four for those two spots. I think Southampton have had a, quietly had a very, very good window.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. It feels like a return to the old old times when Southampton were nailing off these quick signings. And then there was reports then that their scouting department had kind of fallen apart a bit and they'd got a bit outdated. This feels, like the, this feels like the result of revamping that and revamping the club. I Every signing they've made, I can see perfect logic in it. And in fairness, I think that goes wide as the Premier League. Like I can't think of a signing off the top of my head Maybe besides maybe Aronson is the only one where I look at and go, Oh, this is a bit risky. Every other signing, I can see the thought process for the club and think, you know what, this makes sense. And I think this is very likely to succeed. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of there as well. Like there's a few
1: where you look at the price mm. or you look at, say, the needs of the squad. So, like, say Richarlison, for example, I think as a fit, it's a really good fit. Back up to Kane back up to Sun, fills two needs that you had. But have you spent your budget on Richarlison when you are desperately in need of central defensive help? And is that why you're going to sign Clement Langley? And if Langley is your starter, I think you're in trouble. Um, but again, like there's, there's very few that you'd look around and you can't find positives about them, whether it's the player, whether it's the fit, whether it's the price... Every single signing thus far, the only one I would say I'm not overly keen on is Diego Carlos
0: oh, yeah. Aston
1: Villa. And the biggest reason is well, there's two big reasons. One is his age. I just I feel like he is rushing the timeline of your team a little bit, but the bigger issue I have is he's quite rash and he has a little bit of Dejan Lovren in him and my belief in centre-backs is that if you have any Dejan Lovren in in you, I don't want anything to do with you. So he's got a little bit of that, well, he's got a bit of it in it. Like he drags out of people, he's rash in tackles. If it's him and Konza, that I can see working. If it's him and Mings, I think that is a catastrophe
0: waiting to happen. Yeah, I agree. It feels like a, it feels like a better version of Tyrone Mings, and, yeah. and in my head, Tyrone Rings isn't the archetypal Premier League sense that you want to be moving forward with if you want to progress as a club. No, I'm exactly the same. I just think they needed to go in a different
1: direction. But they've made their bed. It's a big signing for a lot of money on big wages, and that's going to be a contract that will be hard to shift given his age. So if you're Steven Gerrard, you better hope it works out because if it doesn't, that could cost you your job, especially with Pochettino now uh, available. Uh, let's move on to West Ham. So, Nayef Agard, the young or young twenty six year old centre back coming in from Wren, left footed. What they needed with albana having had the, injury, the the ACL, and being now thirty five, you were looking for a partner for Zuma. I think you found your partner for Zuma, and I think the the 3-0 of Ariola in goal, Zuma and Egard I think that's really strong.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think this is a rock solid defence. I think, I I mean, the French would say Agued, and I'll, I'll, I'll try and back that. Agued would be, I think he's, oh, I was going to say the highlight, but I do rate Ariola as one of the best keepers in Europe, and I think he's very yeah. underrated, uh, just by his post-Royce G numbers. Uh, Agued, the thing that stands out about him is he's so hard to beat in a 1v1. Like, he's, his turn of pace is brilliant. So even when you try and knock the ball past him, watching last season, like I'd seen enough games of it to kind of build this up, but I, I went through some clips just to make sure I could like back us up. And there's so many amusing times where a, an attacker will try and knock it past him. There's like a split second where he sprints. Aguero's already turned and he's got it. And the attacker just flails his arms and gives up. It, it, West Ham fans, I reckon, are going to love him and, how hard he is to beat in the 1v1. And his passing's pretty good too, off the top of my head. And he, I haven't got the numbers in front of me. I'm pretty sure he's quite a good progressive passing numbers. And he had to in a Ren side, which uh, specialise in not against slightly lower teams, they would need to unlock deeper blocks. But they weren't always the dominant team in possession. So a would have to get the ball up the pitch very quickly. So yeah, I'm very high on this move. And it, now it's ironic, after Zuma was. You know, this big signing for West Ham last season, all of their fans at my time, i extremely excited about it. I look at that now and I say he's not the weak link, but he has the potential to be the least good player in that, that magic trio. Mm, definitely.
1: Definitely. I think he's got the lowest ceiling of the three. And I really like Sufal at right back. I like Ben Johnson as a backup. I'm not massively keen on their left back situation, I think Cresswell is fine as a backup, but I think they've got to go and find a starting left back. But you look at a West Ham team that a couple of years ago had a dreadful full back situation where questionable at center back, questionable in goal, and questionable in midfield. And now you're looking at it and thinking, you've got Ariola, Fabianski's fine as a backup, you've got Sue Allen Johnson at right back, you get that left back with Cresswell as a backup. That's strong in the middle. Zuma, a guard. Uh, you've got Dawson, Ogbana, and Dio. That's a pretty strong center back room. And then you've got Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek sat in front of them. If they can get depth behind Suchek and Rice, which they lacked last season, because Moyes decided he didn't like Alex Kral for some reason, West Ham are going to be really, really tough to break down. And, they're going to be good going forward, especially if they could land Dan Juma and get an alternative striker in so they don't have to play Michael Antonio all all the time. Like West Ham are in a position where three, four more signings and they don't all have to be big money could really make them a Champions League contender this season. Last season, they fell short because they just didn't have any depth. And in the second half of the season, obviously the the focus went to trying to win the Europa League and have hmm. hammered their league form, because they had no depth. Like, Rice and Suchek, every single game, because Moyes wouldn't play Kral, and you just couldn't play Mark Noble. Like, his legs have been gone a couple of years. He was a negative impact player. If they can get that bit of depth, a left-back they can rely on, and some more options and attack, that could be a serious outfit next season.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I come from the uh, West Ham area. The, their training grounds are a mile from me, so I'm very much embedded in the fans. and. The, their fans roasted me in 2020 because i said on three separate occasions they'd be relegated i said it in january i said they'd be relegated by the end of the season then in lockdown i said they're, they're getting relegated at the mm. start the start of the 21-22 season i said they'll finish bottom so that right after the angana left that shows how time has gone past or what time that was i also say it's one well, nice bit of insight because it i was it's funny i was talking to west ham fans the other day who was at football with them and um Ironically, he said pretty much the same thing as you they full backs is massively needing an upgrade. Suffo was okay, but it's not the best and left backs, they're a bad situation. But they did the there was some um, my mate James did tell me that um they've some fans think that Ben Johnson's better as a left back than a right back, feels more comfortable there. So maybe that's something to pay attention to this season. That, that's a possibility. Yeah, let's that see where his career goes. Um
1: mm. because we've seen say Kyle Walker Peters has done very well at left back for Southampton. James Justin has established himself as a left-back for, for Leicester. I still think he's better on, on the right, but he's Leicester's full, full uh, first-choice left-back. I love James Justin, and, and there's a lot of similarities in Ben Johnson in his, his physical makeup and the style of play. Um, they might be, well, they are hoping to add a bit of midfield depth. Uh, they're, according to The Athletic, they're chasing Amadou Onana of Lille. Uh, the Athletics say they've had a bid turned down of about £20 million. Now, he's a player I really like, and I saw you comment on him the other day. We do a transfer committee pod on anfieldindex.com, and when Liverpool didn't get um, Aurelian Chouameni, I suggested that rather than go and spend 60 £70 million on an alternative, possibly better to spend... You know, twenty-five million on one and thirty-five million on another, and get two midfielders in. And the one I suggested for around twenty-five million was Amadou Onana, who I just, I just think the ceiling is sky high for this guy. I think he could be really, really special as a destructive midfield player.
0: Yeah, he's. There's lots of positives, and there's just one catch. Like, so for the background, as a Belgian midfielder. He moved to Lille last summer. Uh, he's like six foot two, but. He's not like a Paulinho. He's very agile on the ball, very good at carrying up the pitch. His passing isn't that immaculate yet, but it's really his ball carrying that's worked well, and it's worked well for Lille last season where they transitioned more into a team that looked to drive straight through the heart of teams on counter attacks. And defensively, he's showing problems as well, learning next to Benjamin Andre, uh, Lille's locomotive midfielder, brilliant player. That, that's brilliant footballing education. And he's still only 21, I think. So yeah, there's so much time for him. The catches I I do not see a possibility of him leaving this summer unless a big fee comes in. Just because he's only just joined Lille. and Lille now sold Sven Bottom. They're gonna sell Renato Sanchez. And they, they've shown they can even, even last summer when they were in big, big financial trouble after they their owners basically capitulated on themselves, they still didn't have a big exodus. So I'd be shocked if Onana leaves. So I was telling West Ham fans that even though you're getting links, even though at the Athletic, that's that's a news source coming out. I didn't realise they were coming for it. But still, I just don't see it happening unless it's an overpriced fee because that's what Lille can charge at the moment.
1: Yeah, getting getting the Botman deal, getting the Ronaldo Sanchez deal, that will give Lille uh, some breathing room this year. I do think they were expecting to sell Jonathan David this year, but the market sort of dried up on him. Um, He could be a a bargain pickup maybe for somebody at this point because, you know, go back to January, people were saying 50 million for Jonathan David, and now maybe you can get him in that 30, 35 million pound range and the talent is there. It's just a matter of getting consistency out of him. Um, Onana would be an interesting one for West Ham because he wouldn't have to go there And start So there wouldn't be huge pressure on him But like you said, it's going to take a big price And with any big price transfer There there is pressure there So uh, maybe best for him to stay at Lille Establish himself as the main guy in the midfield And next summer, I mean They might be queuing up to get him Because if he has a great season Look at uh, Bubakari Samare He had one really good season at Lille and he went from a free transfer signing to the better part of 30 million in a year. So, you know, that that's probably what Lille are thinking as well. If he's 20 million now, he might be 40, 45 next summer. Yeah. Um, the last one we'll hit then, this player has been linked to Arsenal. He's been linked to Manchester United. I actually think he'd be ideal for Tottenham, considering they want someone on the left side of their back 3 Mm-hmm. I like that. Martinez of Ajax is a multi-positional player who I think makes a lot of sense for Arsenal because when I looked at their needs for the summer, when Arsenal play, they build out from the back in very specific patterns. And one of those patterns relies on the fact that Gabriel is a left-footed centre-back, so he creates certain passing angles for them. And when he's not there, the other options are right-footers and that eliminates certain avenues for them. Then you look at Kieran Tierney at left-back, who's primarily a defensive left-back. He gets forward and he's good on the ball, but he is primarily a defensive fullback. When Nuno Tavares played there, well, he is a train wreck and Mm -hmm. far more attacking than defensive. So again, the makeup of the team was changing too much. So I said they need a a backup uh, left-footed left-side centre-back and a defensive left-back. Lisandro Martinez by himself would solve both of those issues and if there's three of them for two positions, you can keep them all fresh across the course of the season. That's 76 games between those two positions just in the Premier League. You could give them all 25 starts. So... Gabriel gets 25 starts at right-back, Tierney gets 25 at left-back, and let's say Martinez gets 13 at at centre-back and 13 at left-back, and everybody's kept happy that way. So I think he makes a lot of sense for them in that regard. Then Manchester United got interested. Now, he does primarily play as a centre-back. I don't like the idea of him as a centre-back in a two in the Premier League. And I know people will say... He's good in the air. Look at the, the win numbers in the area The area Divisie is the area Division. The Premier League is a different animal. And, you know, the likes of Calvert-Lewin, the likes of Antonio, the likes of Awanee, the likes of Ivan Tony. not the elite-level strikers, just those everyday run-of-the-mill strikers that you have to go up against, your Ollie Watkins and people like that, they will have a field day if they find a smaller centre-back that they can just go and stand on. And teams will just pump the ball to them. What I do really like the idea of him as, for United, is as a holding midfielder. Mm -hmm. And if they sign Frankie, a Frankie-Lisandro Martinez double pivot is something I do like. Now, what's your, your view on the player in general, and then with regards to his fit in the Premier League at either of those clubs, and also at Spurs on the left of that three, because I actually think that's the perfect role for him.
0: I, I think you're right in the Spurs aspect. I think he would make a lot of sense on the left of a three where he's allowed to drift into the left back zone because where he's very comfortable there, keep uh, the Spurs covered and allow their left wing back to push forward, which would be Ivan Perisic in this case, so that, and it would save his legs a little bit. I, I do like that move. And it is someone who, when he first moved to Ajax in 2019 from uh Defensa Judística, Argentinian club, he came in as a defensive midfielder and he has been moved back to centre back. And his passing's fantastic and his aggressiveness is very good. He's not over-aggressive, but he's good at just getting himself to win the ball. So yeah, I'd see him at Spurs, but I will disagree with you, sir. I do think he can play centre back, and I, I, I'm like, I'd like to appoint myself as an authority on him after spending an hour the other day watching every single aerial duel that he has been involved in on Wire Scout, which is 15 pages around 150 duels, and I have the answer on him on how he handles duels and where he could be exposed. So he clearly knows as a centre back, he is not going to be able to outhead many defenders if he many attackers if he just goes straight in for it. Even in the Erodavise, which is nicknamed carpet football by some in Belgium for his love to play on the ground. Teams have tried to try to exploit him. They park someone on him, they play the long balls forward to him. And he knows he can get done by that. But what I've seen in Lissandro Martinez is someone who is self-aware and is brilliant at maneuvering the, the duel to make sure he wins it. Now I'm for this, but I'm specifically talking about times where he sort of he can read it as a few seconds to adjust and get the volume in position. He reminds me, of like for any boxing fans out there, he reminds me of like Floyd Mayweather when he rebounded his career. And he'd, he, I can't remember the technique, but he'd always keep a jab out, keeping the opponent far away. And that's what Martinez does. He always he, he's not pushing his opponent, but he keeps them a distance, just outside of the flight path. So even if they jump, they're missing it. And he always gets his head on the ball, and he, he does that even on free kicks, on goal kicks, even long balls. He's very good at judging it. I think he's where he can get done as a centre back is just in these in those quick circumstances. There's a deflection, or it's just bounced up, and he hasn't got time to prepare the situation. It's just a case of who's jumping higher, him or the striker. That's where he can get done. But I will say. Even though in the he is winning over 70% of his aerial duels and he's got a very good jump. In the Champions League, that did transition well. He was winning over 60% of his aerial duels in the Champions League. And that was against uh, the likes of Dortmund and Benfica against Nunes. And I think one game against Haaland. So they, I do think there is a all nuance to him potentially being a, a centre back in the back too. I agree. I think he'd better suit a back three and it would make a bit more sense. Like, he still, at the end of the day, has to prepare more than like a naturally physical defender. But I do think there is maybe more than meets the eye to him. Oh, I, like he has the aggression.
1: He's he's incredibly strong. And there's no doubt he's a very, very good defender. But when I look at the strikers in the Aire Divisie and I look at the strikers in the Premier League, like, I look at the likes of Oli Watkins and Ivan Tony, and I think they'd go to the divisi and score 40. <laughs> like, Mitrovic would, would absolutely bang in the divisi Like, look at Sebastian Haller, who really struggled with the physicality of the Premier League, went to the Divisi and scored a ton. Now, that wasn't his fault that he struggled in the Premier League. West Ham didn't know what they had with him, and they used him in the wrong way. But I do just feel like, you know... Premier League teams, because of the resources they have, like they've got massive scouting departments with multiple people whose entire life revolves around opposition scouting and preparing for the next game. And I I can just see situations where certain teams will bombard the left side of a defense with him in it in a two. In a three, it's different, because if he loses an aerial duel in a wide-left situation, it, it's not necessarily a dropping ball in the penalty box. I'd be a li- I would be just would be concerned about him. Now, look, he may come over and prove me wrong. I'd love him to. Um, but if we look at the best teams in the Premier League, I mean, there's a reason City and Liverpool play giants at centre-back. Mm. There's a reason when Liverpool targets centre backs. It's like if you're not 6'3, we're not even we're not even considering you. You know, City, they went and got Ruben Diaz because of how big and forceful he is. The port is good and the air stone's good. I know they bought Aki, but they avoided playing him at centre back whenever they could. He's definitely a better defender than Harry Maguire, So he is an upgrade there. I would have concerns if he's ever asked to partner Harry Maguire in Mm. a two because I think he'd spend an awful lot of time covering for Maguire and that could leave him stretched a little bit thin because he's not he's not lightning quick like he's got a decent little turn of pace about him but he's not he's not Joe Gomez for example in terms of recovery pace so it would be partner dependent. That's the biggest thing. It would be partner dependent. He obviously played very, very well with Jurian Timber at Ajax. Timber is rapidly quick. And again, like Martinez, he's short. He's 5'10", 5'11", a little bit taller than Martinez. And they did do well. But again, the Eredivisie, the Champions League, there's a very different approach to how the games are played. Like you look at, say, Van Dyke's aerial wins. He wins a lot more headers in the Premier League in terms of volume. He contests a lot more in the Premier League than he does in the Champions League. But I suppose... The, the thing is, if he comes over and he joins United and he struggles at centre-back, at least they have the option of just moving him into midfield. Yeah. So, one way or another, you're going to get a really good player. Obviously, he can cover at left-back. So... He could give them the option to sell Luke Shaw because Malash, that's the other player I want to talk about is Terrell Malashia. If he becomes the first choice left back, Martinez could be the cover there as well. So he'll give you a lot of options. He gives you the back three option as well. There's definitely value in signing him regardless of which club you are. I prefer the fit at both Arsenal as a kind of squad player and at Spurs... Him and Romero, either side of a three. There's there's so much aggression there that I, I think that might be just masterful to see. Um, I prefer the fits there than I do at United, but he can definitely be a value signing for United because of that versatility.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: I hear, you. I hear. you. So last one then, before we go, Malashia, What what's your thoughts on this kid? Left-back wasn't a position I thought United needed to strengthen this summer. I know Shaw is questionable and Alex Tellis hasn't exactly done brilliantly, but, you know, when you've got no recognisable starting right back, I'd be more inclined to spend my resources there. Was this just a deal that was too good for them to turn down?
0: I guess so. I'm not 100% honest. I think okay i'm I'm pretty sold on the fact he will one day be a premier league level left back Mm. maybe a Champions League level left back but at the moment i don't think he's ready to start he has a habit of charging into the backs of attackers and he can quite easily get done and just give away fouls and yellow cards and i I think he can be exploited in the premier league at at his current state where where i think united have been inspired is his attacking contribution he's brilliant at bombing down the left-hand side and Putting crosses into the box. Pretty accurate crosses, crosses, I must say, must say so myself as well. Um I, I think he's completing like over uh, around 30% of his crosses. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm pretty excited by that, but oh, 42% of his crosses, sorry, which is yeah, very high. He's very good at that. Um, but I'm just I'm unconvinced on his defense. On the defence at the moment. He needs to improve that because at the moment he will just get... In the Premier League, he'll get done and he will annoy fans, I think, because he'll either give away fouls, he'll either win the ball very well and start United's attacks, give away fouls, or just get completely exposed and he'll have to rely on his recovery pace to get back. So I'm not 100% on my last year yet, uh, but I don't know as much as Eric Ten Hag, so I could be proved completely wrong. Yeah, I mean... I guess the attacking side might
1: just be where they're waiting this, that they'd they'd rather have that really effective attacking fullback to combine with Jaden Sancho. Because when Sancho was at Dortmund, most of his best work came when he could combine with a really good attacking fullback, either um, Ashraf Hakimi on the right or Rafael Guerrero on the left. Last season at United, no really... You know, effective attacking fullback in the team, and Sancho was sort of left in a bit of an island and struggled. So maybe that's where this comes from, and maybe that's the plan to play Sancho left wing. So bringing him in solves that. I don't know. Like they've obviously signed, they're signing Christian Eriksen, which confuses me a little bit. So I don't know where he's going to play. You've got Bruno in the ten spot. They're looking to bring in Frankie, so. is Eriksson just a backup to both of them? Is he starting left wing with Sancho on the right wing? There's no real pace in that team unless your fullbacks are going to offer it. It's a strange summer so far for United and obviously might get even stranger with the Cristiano situation. But that's something to talk about another day. If you would be so kind, I'd love to have you back on later in the window to discuss the next batch of transfers that come through because i do think we're going to see like you mentioned earlier some very smart
0: recruitment in the next com- uh, next couple of months yeah i'd love to come back on it. i'm ho- i'm I, mean, I partly hope there'll be some dumb recruitment that i can finally tear some players to shreds in my player rating series i haven't given below a 6 so far so i need to see some bad moves so i can destroy
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it look bad transfers are definitely funnier and they're better content than good transfers because good transfers <laughs> are a bit boring um But Alex Barker, you can find him on Twitter at EuroExpert underscore. Make sure you're following. He'll give you the lowdown on all the best young players that are being linked to the Premier League or moving within Europe. Uh, Alex, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Right, folks, that will do me for today. I will see you all tomorrow. Goodbye.
0: Podcast Network.